Hey, it's Brittany, and you're listening to What the P from Origins Media House. Today on the show, I'm going to be interviewing people from the country that currently has the most coronavirus cases worldwide. The United States of America. We have lost nobody to coronavirus in the United States. The U.S. is reporting more than 20,000 deaths, surpassing Italy as the country with the most fatalities. As America becomes the world's greatest victim of COVID-19, government officials continue to plead with citizens to stay home. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? Why do you keep using this? Because it comes from China. It's not racist at all, no. Yeah, no, I don't take responsibility at all. I think we've done a great job. Get easy, just relax, relax. We're doing great. This is What the Peeve, a show that explores the funny, <laughs> strange, and serious pet peeves that people have. Agree or not, our unapologetic podcast is on a mission to make people less shitty to one another. We're finding a way to make the world a better place, fixing one pet peeve at a time. I'm your host, Brittany Wien. He's not my president. Hashtag not my president. Has never been and will never be. And to this day, I'm still so shocked that he is still there. Like, I, nope. You know, all the pasta's gone and the diapers are gone and everything's just gone. Um, uh, people are realizing. And I think that in general, there is, there has been a lot of panic. Jimmy peeing on the floor is Mr. Trump. Ignoring 99.9999999% of everything reasonable. And honestly, like not being able to hang out with friends or go to a bar and drink up, it's uh, honestly pretty depressing. During that month of February, that's when people started just judging and attacking people because just because you look Asian, they just, they just put everyone in one big race category and just blamed everyone. So this is the end of April, and I'm looking at the COVID-19 meter, and this is what I see. Right now, the U.S. has close to 870,000 cases of coronavirus and 49,000 deaths. And these cases and deaths have been increasing every single day. I think from my point of view of an outsider looking in, I think there's a lot of poor management organization and leadership from the leaders of the United States. And I think one of the issues of why the virus is spreading so much in the United States is I think there isn't much strict implementation and regulations on public spaces. So let's just talk about the Florida beaches for a second. So let's just talk about how they were too slow of closing their beaches when the pandemic started and how the Jacksonville beaches just recently opened and millions of people flocked to the beaches as fast as they can. And this comes at a time when millions of people have yet to be tested and yet they want to open up public spaces more. And there's this argument that they're like, oh, beaches are so large, you know, there's plenty of space to like respect social distancing rules and everything like that. But when it comes time of a pandemic, you can't, you can't do that. So let's get into our first guest. We have Dr. Wong, a traveling pediatrician who's residing in Northern Nevada, and he's treating patients with coronavirus. 
He brings a really unique view as he's able to talk about what's it like to treat COVID-19 patients, but also being a doctor amidst this pandemic and investigating what medications are best to treat patients. So right now I'm kind of uh, in Northern Nevada. You know, it's a very interesting time. Nevada itself uh, has hit over 500 cases, most of those 400 uh, near Las Vegas. And then Reno has hit you know, 60 cases or something. And you know, there's been 10 deaths inside of Las Vegas. So you know, a week ago, um, the governor actually ended up shutting down all of the casinos out here for a month. And so it's definitely had a large impact um, on the communities out here uh, since you know, two thirds of uh, the state revenue comes from um, the gaming industry. Are people over there in the States, do you think that they're taking this seriously or do they think it's kind of like blown out proportion? Everybody's taking it seriously. So part of what I do is I travel through rural America. And so rural America, of course, a lot of them are very conservative and uh, very strongly opinionated. And so I've seen some things on social media about, you know, hoaxes and stuff. But yeah, besides that, that you can't find any toilet paper, you know, all the pasta is gone and the diapers are gone and everything's just gone. People are realizing. And I think that in general, there is there has been a lot of panic, especially inside of cities. And the panic in particular is has been astounding. It's like a feeling that if you get this, you're going to die which isn't the case. How are you kind of feeling throughout all this as a physician? Like, tell me about how you're feeling and then how your community of medical professionals are feeling. So as a physician, it's extremely sad for me. You know, we've been trained you know, every single life matters. You know, you want to be able to save everyone and even losing one person is not acceptable. So when you get to this scale where a thousand people have died, you know, many more thousand people will die. It brings about an incredible scale of sadness. Have you treated a patient for COVID and they have passed away on you? No, I, I personally have not. But, you know, I've, I've come into contact with some people that uh, we've been able to treat and uh, I'm doing some telemed. Um, so I'm able to advise a lot of people right now during this time frame. Yeah, like the other part of that is not just the sadness, but it's knowing the feeling that, you know, there's something going on and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. And so that's one of the most frustrating things as a medical professional is to see this march down this road. Um, and so once they come to, you know, seek us out, a lot of them at this point are already not doing great. Um, and so, you know, we're filling our hospitals, very sick people, you know, you know that you can you can't do anything for them. You know, there's no actual treatment. And what are some of the most frustrating things that you've had to deal with throughout all this? I mean, from a societal aspect, you know, it's been really sad to see the United States like not be able to handle this as well as some other countries. You know, I have some friends in China. You know, why was China able to localize it to one city and not have it spread everywhere? You know, part of that is like the social aspects. So, you know, I had a friend who told me that in some of their local states, you know, they pass laws where everybody that goes outside has to wear a mask or else you get fined. So the collective attitude 
that they're able to have has stemmed the onslaught over there. And so I would like to see somebody pass a law saying that, yeah, if you go outside, you have to wear a mask because that's the only way that you're going to catch everybody who's potentially spreading the disease through cough. At this point, you know, I'm frustrated by lack of medicine. There are certain medications that are running out and on critical shortage. Um, you know, a lot of the United States meds uh, come from China and India. You know, corporations decided 20 years ago that it's a lot cheaper to make meds overseas. So they moved all of their manufacturing capabilities overseas. Um, you know, now we have critical shortages of a lot of medications over here. You know, the amount of red tape that you have to go through to be able to test certain medications. Um, you know, we have seen a large promise in certain medications which have the ability to help symptomatic management preventing death. Would you say that your medical peers would kind of disagree with you when you say that we should just give them the medicine that works before 100% knowing that it works? I mean, that's part of the problem is you don't know if it works, but as a doctor, you hope that it works. And so if you think that it works and you do it, um, you know, a lot of times like we think that stuff works and, you know, sometimes like mass studies come out and show much later that yes, we're correct. Other times there are studies that show that no, it's not doing any, but you know, there are large groups where we've been chatting um, on social media with you know, upwards of 70,000 physicians, United States physicians, you know, and a lot of physicians inside of these cities, everybody's using all of these medications off-label right now um, because there's no standard. Nobody knows. How long do you think this pandemic will last in the United States? So most of these cities have been completely shut down for two weeks at this point, 14 days. You know, we won't see the effects of this shutdown until two weeks later. It's very hard to say short term what's going to happen. You know, long term, like I, along with uh, most docs, you know, think that this virus, there's not necessarily an ending point to this virus. You know, this virus is going to keep floating around and then you're going to keep getting outbreaks. One of those reasons is because unless the entire world shuts down, you know, for like a month, two months, whatever, it's just not going to happen. Like uh, any international flights coming in from anywhere have the potential to bring this in. So I expect that what's going to happen is you're going to keep getting these small flare-ups inside of cities and it's going to hit every single city inside the United States. And then at some point, you're just going to have to you know, start shutting down things again. And it's going to keep going back and forth until you get a vaccine or enough people have gotten this that you end up with essentially herd immunity, at least inside the United States. That is a very scary thought. I think we have to give it up for the doctors and nurses out there who are risking their lives treating COVID-19 patients. I think, I can't imagine being a healthcare professional right now, being on the front lines and being the ones who are ultimately saving everyone and I think we need to do our part to stay indoors so they can go out there and do their part. Next, we have Bianca Wynn. She's a Vietnamese American who's living in New York City. She's a freelance stylist, server, bartender, but now she's Bianca the Unemployed because of the pandemic. 
<laughs> well, it must be really difficult for you when you being like a freelance hairstylist and working in the restaurant business. It requires you to meet people and be in contact with people. Oh yeah, I mean those two specific industries because I am required to be cleaning my hands all the time, having a clean station. I've always been doing that kind of thing, you know, washing hands because that's a new phenomenon for people. But for me, like I was okay with it. I knew for a fact that I'd be okay with the contact of people. I am concerned, so wearing a mask was getting more and more. Um, I would say more of a habit now at first, and now it is a habit. But when it was getting pretty bad, it was kind of scary because people were definitely starting to just judge you because I looked Asian or I looked somewhat Asian, and that is very scary in a customer service uh, environment. And when the COVID nineteen pandemic sort of occurred, tell me what you were feeling at first. It came out in、uh, end of January. This is like when I like recover from the flu, and I was like, "Huh, interesting timing," <laughs> in my head.、Uh, and then when February happened, I just started a new、uh, working at a new restaurant. It was a Japanese restaurant, so because we were a brand new restaurant, things were slow. But we didn't think it was going to be COVID nineteen stopping us from getting good business, which we actually ended up getting really good business as March came. But During that month of February, that's when people started just judging and attacking people because just because you look Asian, they just they just put everyone in one big race category and just blamed everyone. At that point, that's when I started carrying a self defense weapon, but I wasn't doing it for myself. I was carrying it to help defend those around me, like my elders. I have like other Asians who might not be able to defend themselves, and I'm the type of person to jump in and help because that's just not fair. To be doing that to someone who's innocent, and then when March came, it just business was doing really well, and then it just stopped, just sudden halt, and it was crazy scary because it's New York City. This is a place where people always come through. We get thousands over, even like millions of people coming in all the time, but for it to completely just stop, it was very scary、uh, in March, and now it's what April. <laughs> See, time is. Time is hard to tell now. That I, all I see is my walls in my apartment. And is your restaurant currently closed right now? So they're doing to-go orders. They're only open at dinner because they don't really need me. They have the head chef's son, who is technically the head of the servers or the head of the front front of house. He's working it. So I'm just here, and I've been unemployed for over a month now with most of America. But I was unemployed early on before most of most of the restaurants around here. Have you experienced any racism towards you, or have you have your peers、um, experienced racism towards them? I definitely have experienced it since I haven't been physically in a fight. But anytime anyone mouthed me, I would just go off because they're not expecting Asians to be able to defend themselves, or they're not also expecting Asians to have a clear English-speaking tone, which is just Racist in its own way, but like that, I understand that they don't expect. So whenever I say something, and I have blue hair, so I already look wild enough as it is. So when I speak up, 
people tend to get taken back, especially when I see other older Asians like getting looked at or people are just talking. Like I usually sit next to them and then we just ignore them. Like it's just crazy how much is happening. I've seen my friends' parents, they almost get punched or they almost get kicked or they do get shoved or they get denied service of any sort of way, shape or form. And this isn't in New York. It's um, also in Dallas. And Dallas is really bad right now, too, with the xenophobia. It's just hurtful. I don't understand why people have to do it like that. I guess their expectancy is that Asians in general don't defend themselves, but nope. Has all these acts been sort of like random acts out of nowhere? To me, I feel like people are always going to want a a reason to fight. And the biggest enemy out there is racism that in my opinion that's never going to go away like especially in america with our economy and the the different levels of income just with those neighborhoods with the income status it's just going to depend on where you come from where what's happening around you and for me i grew up in texas so i'm used to it i'm ready for it i'm ready to attack i'm ready to defend i'm ready to make sure that i have my back i'm always 360 with what's around me but that's me i can't say for the same for others which is why it hurts for me to hear like all my friends and then their parents like getting these attacks these xenophobia attacks do you think like the government is taking enough measures to help like <laughs> you sh- prevent you, this you already know the answer to that <laughs> that that's a joke we already knew for a fact that, first off, if they didn't update the backup stockpiles of the ventilators and the um, PPEs, like if they didn't have that stocked up and up to date, that would have been a problem. The fact that they already knew about it since January, didn't take measures until March to maybe do some more mass orders and whatnot, we're still in dire need of ventilators and PPEs. I mean, it's great to see these small businesses go through get their own funds, get uh, GoFundMes, like raise money, bring and donate those PPEs to like the CDC and then they will distribute it out to those who need it. But it's still bad because these nurses, our nurses, our doctors, our uh, pharmacists, all these frontline healthcare employees, they use one mask a week. That's it. And give me a little rant on what you think (laughs) about um, your president currently. He's not my president. Hashtag not my president. Has never been and will never be. And to this day, I'm still so shocked that he is still there. Like, I, nope. Elections are coming up. Please vote. This is, this is ridiculous, guys. Because if this isn't enough evidence on how he's performing in such a world global crisis, what else can I say? Kind of reiterate some of the things that he says or things that he's petty about. <laughs> well, this orange turnip. He, as I love referring him that, um, if you don't know him, I'm sorry, you must live under a rock that has no COVID-19 problems. So there is a, there's actually a thread on Facebook and Twitter about other people from other countries and their opinions about Trump <laughs> and what, how the U.S. is handling it is funny because it's a shit show. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but it's a joke. The way that he's uh, handling everything, he calls it, and I hate saying this, he calls it the Chinese virus. And I already hate people who said H1N1 was the Spanish flu. That's stupid. I hated that. It came from another country. So why are we calling it one thing versus us calling it the Chinese flu? Your intonation, your undertones, that 
in between the lines meaning of that word that he uses is giving people in America the consent to just call it the Chinese flu and to just blame Chinese people and to blame Asians, this entire race, just based on that particular term. I'm not into it. You're giving yourself just slightly enough power to be racist without being racist. No, because me being a Vietnamese Canadian, it's like, of course, I'm not Chinese, but like having all Japanese people, Koreans, Vietnamese, anyone who encompasses the Asian look and just to fit us into one, I guess, like Chinese mold is racist of its own, but also like calling it the Chinese flu or the Kung flu or some kind of variation. It's incredibly racist. My theory is that people need someone or some particular race to blame in order to cope with this. Do you do you think that's correct? Yeah, it's definitely a blame game. And Donald Trump, I'm not calling him president, Donald Trump is a huge fan of the blame game. He will always divert the blame on any person that is not with him or not with his cabinet or not on himself. If you're not on his team, he's just going to keep pointing fingers at you and go, it's your fault. And amidst being close to the epicenter and having Donald Trump as the United States president, do you feel safe as a citizen right now? (laughs) Girl, I have been dying to move to another country. And let me tell you, this is definitely putting that on a fast track. As soon as As soon as some border opens up and lets me go through, I'm going to be like, how do I work in this country? This is happening. I mean, Canada's the closest, but like, I get it. (laughs) The borders are closed for us. I don't blame y'all. I don't blame Mexico, too. Like, I don't blame anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was an amazing answer. And like, why do you feel so unsafe in the United States? Okay, so the biggest thing that you obviously can tell by now is that our first world country of America has a third world country of a healthcare. The way that the healthcare is suffering within a first world country, within a country that has so much federal reserves, we have literally no excuse for this. And yet here we are suffering worse. We could have taken the examples from Singapore or from Taiwan or from South Korea and how they were able to handle the situation. They were the closest to China and to the original um, COVID-19. How they handled it, how they went and like immediately took action, that was amazing. But for us to see all these examples, all these clues, these warning signs, and for us to handle it two months late, just like how Italy has handled it. And yet we're not even taking the same measures as Italy. Yeah, I can clearly hear your frustration amidst all of this. And just to like backtrack a little bit, what is the situation in the States in terms of quarantine right now? Like what are people allowed to do, cannot do? How How is everything running over there? So I've heard from like Atlanta, Dallas, and a couple of other states that if you are pulled over or the police finds that you're out and you are not going on an essential shopping spree or you're not like doing things that you need to do because girl, the shopping spree we do these days is food. But if they don't have a reason to be out of the house, they get a ticket. However, in New York City, I know for a fact that I've seen people walking around on the streets, chilling on the streets, going to their friends because 
your Snapchat stories and your Instagram stories don't lie. And I have seen a lot of just lallygagging. People still hang out at the parks. And this is New York City. I'm in Queens. I, the Where I'm at in Queens is not that crowded. But I've seen Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn Park is crowded. It is ridiculous because there's no fees yet. We don't have enough officers probably because half the police officers in New York were positive for COVID. So there's that issue too. Well, thank you so much, Bianca, for sharing your stories and insights and perspective. It was really good talking to you. My pleasure. I hope my insight was somewhat um, useful. But I really do wish that everyone, uh, you, everyone in Toronto, everyone else in America and in the world are safe. Please stay home, flatten the curve, or else I will hunt you down. Okay, guys, that's scary. (laughs) Listen to Bianca. Yeah, thank you so much for being for you know inviting me to be on here. It was fun. I think Bianca gave us a wide range of issues surrounding how the U.S. is dealing with the crisis from a blame point of view. I think when you're leading people, you have to protect them. And from Bianca's stories, it sounds like the mismanagement and lack of appropriate leadership is endangering the safety of innocent Asian Americans. Up next, we have Jonathan Ma, who's a student studying at UCLA. He has a predisposition to the virus and is frustrated with those who aren't taking it seriously at all. Honestly, I feel pretty like shut in. Cabin fever is just the fucking worst thing possible. And honestly, like not being able to hang out with friends or go to a bar and drink up. It's uh, honestly pretty depressing. <laughs> You're currently living in Los Angeles right now. Can of tell us about the situation that's happening in the States? So most, if not all, schools have been basically shut down. And uh, I think most universities transition to like using Zoom, all that cool shit. And there's a lot of tenseness going on that's been kind of like circulating around. Actually, the first death in the county was just down the street from me. So it's, you know, it really puts into perspective of just how deadly this virus is. Let's talk about the tenseness that you were talking about. How are people acting? There was a lot of panic buying, especially for toilet paper. And then in my city where there's a lot of uh, K through 12 schools, parents would basically stock up on alcohol because they're stuck with the kids for the next God knows how long, honestly. So it's like I've been basically drinking every single day because <laughs> I, I have nothing better else to do. And let's talk about your president for a second. So kind of tell me your perspective of how he is dealing, how he was dealing with the situation in the beginning. He thinks he's basically everything. He's first priority. He just never really took it seriously until the cases started really impacting like New York and California. So it's like, it's really fucking stupid. And to top it all that, he to label the virus as Chinese is pretty fucked up already because in America, it's especially after the 2016 election, I feel like our country has been pretty divided across uh, party lines. Trump by labeling as a it as a Chinese virus definitely fucked up the Asian communities here in the U.S. because there's a lot of uh, hate crimes that have been going on. I guess like 
with this virus says like origins coming from China, I think it's just people's defense to blame it on a group or people in order for them to kind of cope with this pandemic. Yeah. And so what are some of your frustrations about this pandemic? I think one of my biggest frustrations is that people don't, some people don't take it seriously. You know, like they'll still be hanging out with friends and posting it on Instagram or something or going to the beach in like large crowds of people, stuff like that. And do you think it's like the American mentality of not taking it seriously and maybe other things that it's the reason why the U.S. has one of the highest cases right now? I think it's the American mentality of, I guess, our education system, what we learned in school. Like, we technically have, like, the freedom to move about anywhere, go, go around anywhere. And I guess people don't like being locked up in their homes. They want to see their friends. They want to go get some fresh air or stuff like that. So I believe it's more of how we were taught in school. Do you think that the U.S. education system has failed you guys in preparing for this pandemic? I just feel like since in grade 11, we have to learn about U.S. history. And in 12th grade, we have to learn about the U.S. government, about our rights and uh, how the government works. I think Americans have this problem of they tend to think about themselves and think of them as nothing's going to happen until they actually experience it firsthand. But... I just feel like this country was honestly built on racism. It's so fucked up, honestly. Even when the first Chinese came over to the States back in the 1800s, I believe that they weren't allowed to be citizens even. Wrapping up a little bit, um, do you have anything to say to the people out there who aren't taking it seriously? Your ass belongs at home, honestly. Last but not least, we have Mark Nguyen. He's Canadian, by the way, not American, so he's a little bit of an outlier. But he did go to New York a couple weeks before they closed the U.S. and Canada border. And I really wanted to get his perspective on what it was like being a non-citizen visiting the USA. Trudeau government, you know, like, slow slow on some things, should be pulling the trigger harder, but not too annoyed. The fucking U.S. government, though. The fucking U.S. government. What the fucking hell? Trump wants to reopen? Oh my god, there are more cases in the US right now. Trump wants to reopen? Trump wants to reopen in April. In a- April? What the hell? That's in three days. No, oh my god, mid-April. Fuck. We're not going to be fucked. Oh, it's like the, the analogy you said, right? It's It's not... Most of the kids in the class are just trying to get the class to finish. We just want to, we want the class to be over with so we can go for recess. But fucking Jimmy in the back, fucking Jimmy in the back, what is he doing? You don't, you don't have to fucking pee on the floor right now. What the hell? Just, why are you, why are you doing this? Why? Jimmy peeing on the floor is um, Mr. Trump. Ignoring percent of everything reasonable to be doing in this situation. Um, so an example is he, he's trying to. Well, first of all, the, the entire country is not on a full shutdown, um, and the reason why. First of all, the reason why the U.S. economy is really important because obviously everything is linked to it, and and, and like 
they're they're very important to us. Um, if they get fucked, then 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 we get fucked times two. So Trump, he's he's trying to reopen borders too soon, and people like Gates are saying, well, um, we, we can't do that that soon. You know, like it, it's going to need another two months for for uh, a full lockdown to keep the spread in. And you know, obviously, the U.S. is so split. You have full-on states that are not even you know listening to to any concerns. And so this is going to take much longer um, because they're not locking down completely um, uh, uh, throughout the country, and also because it, they're uh, they're not just they're just not taking the facts seriously enough, like uh, on Trump ends, like uh, as always. But um, a lot of people are afraid, particularly in the U.S. A lot of my friends are are facing daily. Threats of, of 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 like daily violence towards them. It's a very uncomfortable time right now um, for Asian people, particularly in New York. You know that has largest population of, of Chinese people outside of of, of China, outside of, outside of Asia. Um, them being there for generations, for like four or five generations. They're not like Canadians, you know. Like they've been there for they've been there for much longer. They've really lived. They're American in the sense that. They want to buy guns, <laughs> and it's it's not like in the in the Canada we're like yo like why the fuck would you want to buy like that's it's so you know it's so out of the blue. But in in the U.S. they have all types of all types of Asians, and they've had Asians that are lot have been there long enough to 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 be like you know what fuck it like I'm gonna defend myself Second Amendment. If some kid's gonna come down the street and try to threaten me threaten me, you know these these this shotguns going towards their head like this is that's just the way it is my family first you know i was in new york three weeks ago it was bad for me but oh, you went um, to new york three weeks ago i came back right before they closed the borders basically <laughs> like three days five days before they closed the borders between the u.s and canada and it was in the u.s they experienced they're like us on steroids um but but you had like you had people literally having to patrol the streets and protect the old people on like in Chinatown. <laughs> That's fucked. How many people would you see patrolling the the streets? Maybe I saw like two two groups while I was there patrolling like the the streets, like just to just to make sure there was no 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 violence going on, um, because Chinatown's a, a big target for for. A lot of the the anger uh, and violence now. I think that's how Drew groups. Interestingly enough, there's also like it's not just like like Asian people for Asian people, Chinese people for Chinese people. You know, like there there are other allies, uh, I guess, in this situation. And that's it for the first of many COVID nineteen episodes. I know this is a difficult time right now, but only leave your place when you really need to. Don't hoard toilet paper and check up on your loved ones. This is What the Peeve, and I'm your host Brittany Wien. For all the latest updates, or if you want to be featured on our podcast, be sure to follow us and send us a DM on Instagram at WhatThePeeve underscore. Please support our podcast by subscribing and giving us a five star review. Thank you again. <laughs>